Welcome to the Innovation in Government show sponsored by Kerasoft. Each month we'll talk with industry experts who enable innovation and make government more responsive and secure by advancing key technologies. Now here's your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Dennis Riley, the Vice President of Federal Sales for Gigamon. Dennis, welcome to the program. Thanks, Jason. Let me set some context for our discussion today. This concept of cyber risk management has been gaining steam over the last few years. The idea of an organization that can secure everything is just unrealistic and really impossible. Starting in 2015, the Office of Management Budget pushed agencies to identify high-value assets and secure them first and foremost. Over the last two years, the Homeland Security Department has been helping agencies get their minds around managing their cyber risk. DHS has conducted 100 security architecture reviews and risk and vulnerability assessments. DHS is planning another 60 reviews for 2018. At the same time, agencies submitted to OMB their risk management reports earlier this year as part of meeting the requirements for the cyber executive order issued in 2017. This was really the first time agencies have a consistent review of their cyber risks. It also lets them map threats to capability to investment, as well as use their FISMA, Federal Information Security Management Act, metrics to track and assess their own cyber risks. Now, all this data lets OMB and DHS really compare apples to apples across the agencies for the first time when it comes to cyber risk. So how do agencies move forward to do more to understand their risks? How do they buy down their risks? How do they ensure their employees have the proper skill sets to manage this process of buying down and managing their risks? Well, that's where our guest comes in, Dennis Riley, the Vice President of Federal Sales for Gigamon. So let's start with this concept of buying down risk. Talk a little bit about what that really does mean. Sure. So Tom Bossert at the White House, Department of or the Homeland Security Advisor to the President, talks about that frequently. The idea being that there'll never be enough budget to counter the increasing and well-financed uh, and highly threatening adversary. So it's important for the federal government, and we have a responsibility as a federal government to use every cybersecurity dollar to get the maximum return on buying down that risk. And there's lots of different models that you can look at in terms of uh, risk reduction, but it really comes down to three factors, people, processes, and technology. If we take people first, that's the toughest one, I think. Uh, there's been some surveys that have been sponsored by NIST that show that there's currently 780,000 cybersecurity positions in the U.S., and 350,000 of them are open uh, today. Worldwide, it's expected to grow to about 3.5 million positions by 2021 that are going to be open, about half a million here in the U.S. So that's a tough problem. No matter what we do as a government, I think it's going to be very difficult to close that gap. Uh, we need great people. We need to train and retain them, but the gap's never going to be closed. So we have to look at processes and, and technology to be a game changer. Processes will continue to improve, but that's generally going to be in response to a threat. So as much as we improve our processes and our techniques, that's probably not going to be a game changer for us. I really think it comes down to technology. It won't be technology alone. But technology is where we can have a big game changer. And we've got some tremendous advantages here in the U.S. with cybercrime having an estimated $6 trillion price tag by 2021. There's a high profit motivation. So there's a lot of venture capital and a lot of smarts going into how can we use technology to, to counter nations, threats, cyber uh, criminals, and hacktivists. So I think that's the place to look. But what's important is uh, and if you go to the RSA conference uh, out in San Francisco, there's thousands of vendors uh, out there. So the noise associated with these new cybersecurity tools uh, is significant. So I think the challenge for the government and for industry is to find 
those handful of technologies that are real force multipliers. So they can make a big impact on the cyber fight, make it uh, more of an equal fight. Right now, I think it's asymmetrically to the advantage of the attacker against the defender and uh, find those and implement those technologies quickly to get that force multiplier effect and get the maximum return on the cybersecurity budget dollar. All right, so there's a lot to unpack there. Let me back us up for a minute. One of the things when you talk about spending every dollar smartly, that's part of that is understanding those risks and the high value assets that I mentioned in the beginning is the first step in that direction. Do you think, do you get a sense from your agency customers that they're, they understand where their high value assets are? Yeah, I think we're making good progress in the executive order and IT modernization, you know, talk about that. You know, historically, we've looked at security from the outside in, have a strong perimeter, keep the bad guys out. We know that no longer works. Uh, that's widely accepted. And I see more and more agencies thinking about security from the inside out. Know what I have in my environment, know where my data is, know what's happening on my network, and then secure it. So the underlying premise there is you need to be able to see it to secure it. So you have to have visibility. Data at rest, you know, encrypt it, know who's on your network with strong uh, identity management. The, the tougher problem that I think agencies are finding is the data in motion that tra- traverses the network. And the reason that's becoming a tougher problem is it used to be we just had the physical infrastructure. But now we have the virtual environment, the software-defined environment. And as you know, uh, with the current administration, a move to the cloud. So it becomes a much more complex problem. And in the situation of the cloud, the cloud service provider is not part of my immediate enterprise. I'm relying on that outside third party. Yet I, as an agency head, am still responsible for that data. And frankly, um, I think that one of the reasons why there's been a slower adoption of the cloud is that agency heads have, and you know, chief information officers and CISOs have said, geez, even though I move that data to the cloud, I'm still responsible for the security of that data inside the cloud. Is that issue of responsibility or understanding the accountability piece, can't that be built into the cloud provider? Can't they be built into the hardware, software, the tools that the cloud provider uses that can tell me as the CISO or the CIO that my data is secure? So there's a distinction there, right? So, and companies like Amazon Web Services and and Microsoft uh, will tell you this, that we are responsible for the security of the cloud, but the agency, the customer remains responsibility, remains responsible for security of their data inside the cloud. So just as an agency head and chief information security officer is going, going to want to know what's happening to their data at rest and their data in motion in their physical infrastructure and their virtual infrastructure on-premise, they're going to want to have that same visibility into the data that's inside the service provider's cloud. Fortunately, there's you know technology that allows them to do that. But I think what I've been hearing a little bit from agency heads is that we're going to be able to get cheaper computing and more secure computing in the cloud. The reason that a lot of them are thinking that is they're saying, hey, if I modernize my applications and shift them to the cloud, uh, that's an improvement in and of itself because a lot of these applications were built years or decades ago when security wasn't built in or was at best an afterthought. So by modernizing the application, I'll have more security. Well, that's part of it, but you're still responsible for that data, even though it's going to reside in somebody else's uh, you know, cloud infrastructure. That's fascinating, the fact that there's still that hesitation, because when I talk to CIOs and my experience of doing interviews and going to see panels, there's always that talk about cloud. And it's, it's much less, well, we're going to dip our toe. We're going to try a pilot to really, we're really moving to the cloud. 
But at the same time, it is the low value stuff. It's the email, it's the collaboration tools, it's even test and development to a certain extent. It's not the high value stuff. Do you see that same discussion happening when you talk to clients? I think you're onto something there, Jason. We can hear what the agency heads say, but we're watching what they do. And they haven't moved the high value stuff to the cloud yet. And I think fortunately, now there are uh, solutions out there that are gonna allow them to get the same visibility into their data in motion in the cloud as they have on premise. Uh, but it's just gonna take them a while to get comfortable with that. And then I think you'll see more of those workloads of high value uh, assets shift to the cloud. We know that the FedRAMP program, the Federal Risk Authorization and Management Program, FedRAMP is developing a high baseline. So that's for uh, obviously most uh, FISMA high metrics. So that's gonna be a big deal as well. And that will help move people to the cloud. We've talked a little bit about cloud. You talked about the the different things that can happen, the the different pieces that can, can work. And we're gonna get to workforce in a second. But let me, let's talk about technology first, mm -hmm. since you guys are a technology company. Sure. <laughs> you, you talk about technology as a multiplier, you know, really to, to make security better, easier, faster, better, cheaper. Talk a little bit about what you're seeing from a technology perspective. If you think of the context of, let's say I have a dozen cybersecurity tools in my uh, security stack. If you can find a force multiplier that gets just 10, 15, or 20% more productivity out of each of those tools, that pays for itself very quickly. So the concept of a security delivery platform, uh, a network uh, packet broker that allows all those cybersecurity tools to work better can pay for itself very quickly. I'll give you a quick example. If you've got an anti-malware tool, and we've done this for several agencies, an anti-malware tool that only wants to see email to make sure no uh, malicious uh, email, uh, malicious links comes in through the email, you don't want to send that voice over IP video or standard uh, web traffic. That's just going to bog down that tool from doing its highly specialized work of preventing malware from penetrating the network. So if you get a next generation packet broker that can filter out all that unwanted traffic, send it only the relevant traffic, that's a tremendous advantage. If you can do that across 10 or 12 tools, you can see where that becomes a force multiplier. I'll tell you where it gets to be even more powerful. NSS Labs came out with a study that showed that encrypted traffic really bogs down cybersecurity tools. In fact, some cybersecurity tools can't even inspect encrypted traffic. We can talk more about that in a minute, but others will take an 80% performance hit. So if you can use a next generation network packet broker as part of your security delivery platform to decrypt traffic once and send it to a dozen cybersecurity tools and get a 5X multiplier, that's huge. It won't happen with every one of the tools. Sometimes it'll be much less than that, but that's the potential to get a 5X multiplier. And that's a tremendous force multiplier. And when we talk about 5X multiplier, you're meaning define that a little bit better because I think people hear that and go, so it's going to be five times faster, five times more data goes through it. Define the force multiplier. If a cybersecurity tool has to encrypt its own SSL TLS traffic, it might take a performance hit of as much as 80%. So it'll only be working at 20% capacity. If you can have a piece of the architecture as part of your security delivery platform, that next generation platform that decrypts the traffic once and sends it to 12 tools, well, now that tool is not going to work at 20% capacity. It's going to work at near 100% capacity. So that's where I get that 5X. And the benefit is you're going to, the tools will do more for you and it will make a bigger impact on the security of your network and change your security posture. Absolutely. So the tools will do more for you as you get more and more data going across your network. Uh, you'll extend the life of, of those tools. And, and here's some more information that makes that even more important. We know that more than 50% of the traffic today going across federal networks is encrypted. Much of that traffic isn't even being inspected today for the reasons I mentioned uh, before. 
Gartner tells us that by next year, we should expect 80% of the traffic diversity in the network to be encrypted. So if you're not inspecting encrypted traffic or you need to buy five times the number of cybersecurity tools to handle that, you either have a very poor cybersecurity architecture, it'd be the equivalent of having five doors in a building but only having a guard and a metal detector on one of those doors, let the other four be free flow. And then in terms of having to buy four or five times the number of cybersecurity tools just to handle the encrypted traffic, that just becomes unaffordable and really unmanageable uh, in your security and network operations centers. It's interesting you talk about encrypted traffic. And to be clear, is that that's the idea of using HTTPS or when you because when we think of encrypted traffic, we think of, you know, a 256 bit encryption and so on and so forth. But really, you're talking that's not what you're talking about generally, are you? It's, we're talking about, you know, SSL and not TLS traffic traversing uh, the network so that it's encrypted and can't be, you know, snooped upon. Uh, as it goes you know, across your network. That's, that can also be important in terms of data exfiltration. If we go all the way back to the OPM breach, that data was being exfiltrated through an encrypted channel. So there'll be times that you'll want to be able to decrypt the traffic when it's leaving your enterprise as well. So both situations, inbound and outbound encrypted traffic, are worthy of inspection, or you simply don't know what's going on in your network. And if you can't see it, you can't secure it. We're going to take a quick break. Before we do that, let me just ask you, are agencies understanding that they can have these force multipliers, that they exist? I think they are. And I would point to the uh, continuous diagnostic and mitigation uh, program. Um, and, you know, we at Kick are pleased to be uh, part of that program. Uh, we were added uh, to the contract after it was uh, uh, initially awarded because there was a recognition that you need more than just cybersecurity tools. You have to have a security delivery platform, a next generation packet broker, to be a standard part of any cybersecurity infrastructure. Excellent. And CDM, we could talk all day about it. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the Discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on federalnewsradio.com at 1500 AM. Join your security peers, Gigamon partners, and executives for the Gigamon Public Sector Cybersecurity Summit on April 10th at the Ronald Reagan Building in Washington, D.C. Top security experts will discuss how to maximize your cybersecurity investment. Don't miss this opportunity to network with cybersecurity professionals and learn how Gigamon can improve network visibility to spot cyber threats across your networks. Registration is opening soon. For more, check out Gigamon.com. That's Gigamon.com. Tune in on Tuesdays at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. for the Innovation in Government show, sponsored by Kerasoft and its partners. Learn from industry experts who enable innovation and make government more responsive and secure by advancing technologies. Innovation in Government examines a wide range of topics and evaluates their payoff. Cybersecurity, big data, cloud computing, and more. Innovation in Government, Tuesdays at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 a.m. Search keyword innovation. Welcome back. You're listening to the discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm Jason Miller. My guest today is Dennis Riley, the Vice President of Federal Sales for Gigamon. Now, Dennis, you mentioned people, process, and technology. We talked a little bit about technology. Let's talk the people side of this. A big approach that the administration, that DHS, that OMB, even Congress is looking at is Two things, how do we get the right people with the right skill sets? But secondly, and we're going to talk about this, is how do we move people, this is the new phrase we're going to hear from OMB, from low-value work to high-value work. So let's start with the people and the idea of skill sets. The overriding issue here is we're just never going to close the the gap. There's going to be a lot of 
programs that come out to help our cybersecurity workers get better at what they do to get more cybersecurity workers. Uh, there'll probably be some initiatives to help retain them uh, in government because a lot of them do get trained by the government, whether it's a civilian government or military, and then leave for the private sector. But I just don't ever see us uh, closing that gap. So I think we have to equip our workers with the latest technology and have a lot of that technology take care of the lower value tasks, the more mundane issues, so they can do the higher order thinking that, that you mentioned. At the same time, with all the tools that we're talking about, they're going to get inundated with data and they have to have that skill set to understand the data and then act on that data. Is that where the new skill sets are needed is around audit logs or whatever we're calling it nowadays? I think what you want technology to do for our cybersecurity workers is remove some of those false positives, take some uh, automated actions so that when the tougher decisions or the more intense forensic or investigatory work takes place, we, we freed them up uh, for that. Uh, you know, Dr. Uh, Jim Travis at DISA was recently speaking about the Acropolis program that they have at DISA. And, you know, he talked about how they're, you know, using uh, big data platforms and commercially available uh, threat intelligence uh, services to help get the d job done. But he, he talked about some staggering numbers there that no human could handle. Uh, 200,000 threat indicators, 100,000 countermeasures approved for use, over 10,000 active and passive detection signatures with a million attributes. And that was just in their one application. So it's clear you can't have a security operations center with enough people to handle that. So uh, automation and orchestration uh, done through something like a security delivery platform is, is going to be key. I feel like you knew my next question. Where does automation and orchestration come in? Let's talk a little bit about that. What are you guys seeing maybe from your customers around automation orchestration? Are they starting to move in that direction? They are, uh, and they absolutely recognize uh, the need. And I think this is where industry cooperation uh, comes in. And uh, you know, at Gigamon, we believe in uh, open APIs and many of the other uh, cybersecurity uh, solution providers on the market uh, do the same thing. So the idea is that if you have a real-world problem where you're noticing uh, some unusual activity, let's say uh, some encrypted uh, traffic coming in from a, a port that doesn't usually allow encrypted traffic, you may want to trigger through a security delivery platform to have a device do decryption of all that traffic and very intense packet capture so that you can determine what's going on and if necessary, do, do forensic work. So there's an example of where you might have a playbook using open APIs where automated uh, activities take place. A human is alerted uh, in case they want to alter that or take further actions as well. It's almost like the if-then statement. If, you're, if you did coding back in the day of basic, right? If X equals five, then Y must. <laughs> so same thing, the APIs are doing that if-then. If we're getting encrypted data through this port, then do this. Yes, no, I think you're right. There are playbooks and uh, there's been you know companies on the market. You know, Fan was recently acquired by Splunk. So they're, they're looking into that. They're one of uh, our partners and they partner with many companies. So I think that's where uh, industry cooperation because no one vendor can do it on their own. There's got to be good integration. And obviously, you know, contractors and government employees uh, get involved uh, in all that as well. This idea of automation and orchestration is not new. We've been talking about it for several years. From your perspective, when you talk to government clients or even private sector clients, I don't know how much you deal with the commercial world, but do they understand that they moving to us automation is imperative? Are, are they moving that direction? Or is there, like the cloud, still some hesitancy? What kind of trends are you seeing? 
it's absolutely recognized, and Department of Homeland Security is doing a lot of work uh, in, in this uh, area with integrated automated cyber defense, uh, IACD. And the commercial sector certainly recognizes it uh, as well. And they're obviously very cost conscious because most of these organizations are you know, for-profit uh, uh, companies. So uh, I do think DHS and the intelligence uh, community both recognize that that's necessary. I think one early good example of this, and, and Gigamon was involved with this, and this was a joint program between uh, DISA and the intelligence community. It was a program called Sharkseer. So they used commercial threat intelligence, anti-malware, and other cybersecurity tools and uh, used some early automation orchestration and got some tremendous results. Uh, they increased their threat detection at the boundary by about tenfold. Uh, mitigation rates increased by about 250%. The time to analyze and resolve an uh, attempted exploit or exploit went you know, from weeks and months down to less than uh, a couple of days. So they had some tremendous results uh, from doing that. So I think the proof points uh, are out there and it's going to get adopted more widely throughout government and the private sector. It always seems to start with DOD and the intel and kind of work its way down into the civilian world. And and I think this you brought up the CDM program earlier. Yes. And I think that's a key piece to get agencies on board with this orchestration automation. Are you starting to see, because as they move into phase two and phase three, that there's agencies asking for these types of tools? For sure. And I think one of the things, to the credit of the CDM program, and they had some congressional pressure to help them along with this, is that the, the feeling was that in you know phase one and phase two, the agencies were be given solutions that, in some cases, they felt they needed, but in other cases, they didn't think was the best fit. Now with phase three and CDM Defend, DHS and GSA have altered it to where it's more of a partnership uh, with the agency so that the agency can get what they need. And some of that is going to be automation and orchestration. There's still a lot of basic needs that they're going to be taking care of first, including some known gaps that they couldn't afford in phase one because there just wasn't enough funding support. But I think once they get that taken care of, they're going to start to look at these more advanced cybersecurity uh, techniques like automation and, and orchestration. And then the 2018 budget that just got passed, the Omnibus, DHS got a big plus up for CDM. I think something to the effect of like 40 or $50 million more than they requested. So you're right, Congress is very interested in this. Uh, this is a great conversation. This I want to bring us all the way back around to the beginning where you talk about this idea of people, process, and technology. One of the big things around that we're seeing from this administration is IT modernization. And it's been a big push over really the last 18 months, so two years. Where does this effort around, for instance, cybersecurity, orchestration, automation, buying down your risk, all fit in with this discussion on IT modernization? I think the big thrust from IT modernization is going to be the move to shared services uh, and the cloud. And as we talked about earlier, agency heads, program managers, uh, CIOs, and CISOs are going to expect to have the same visibility into their data in the cloud that they would have on-prem. Otherwise, they can't fulfill their responsibility of making sure the taxpayer's data uh, is secure. So I think that's the, the biggest thing that we're going to see is, can I secure the data in the cloud just as well, if not better, than I can when it was on-prem? And fortunately, there are tools available today. Gigamon happens to be one of them, but there are others out there that, that can help them do that to smooth that, that move uh, to the cloud. 
when you read the IT strategy, the IT modernization strategy from the White House, there's a big push around modernization and, and the modernization of through cybersecurity. That's mm-hmm. kind of the card they're playing. When you guys are talking to customers and bring up IT modernization, what is their focus? Is their focus cyber as well? I mean, or is their focus, I just want to get off these legacy systems and yeah, cyber is a great benefit. Yeah, I think we all know that 80 to 85% of the IT budget goes to maintain the old systems. Some of them COBOL systems that are 40 and 50 years old. So we know we all know those stories. So I do think first and foremost, um, CIOs want to modernize those applications and, and build them with a SecOps, DevOps uh, outlook where security is built into the application from the get-go. Uh, that's key. In addition to the IT modernization, I think the, the Management Act, the MGT Act is interesting. What I'd like to see there, you know, it's, right now it's $100 million uh, for FY18. My concern, and I've heard this from government customers as well as in the industry is that there's only going to be small, perhaps not very consequential projects funded two, three, four, five million dollars so that they've got many projects going and can, you know, work with many different agencies. What I think might be a more interesting approach is to make some big, bigger bets. Uh, maybe take a 20 or $30 million project that has high promise, no guarantee, but high promise and put the funding behind that if that proof of concept goes well, then it can be replicated through the regular budget process or through CDM funding across uh, multiple agencies. And I actually think that the Shark Seer program is one that's got some promise. It's done extremely well within DOD and in the intelligence community. They talked about, you know, tenfold increase uh, in, in detection and mitigation. Why not put that into one of the civilian agencies that's, that's experiencing similar problems trying to keep, you know, malware out? See how that goes. If it works well, through the regular funding process, maybe there are several other agencies that can use that. So I'd rather see us take a few big bets, whatever they might be, rather than maybe some more inconsequential small projects with small payoff. It's an interesting concept that you bring up around MGT and the Technology Modernization Fund. What I've heard from agencies is, will that you know two or $3 million project, the bump up really make a difference? So it'd be interesting to, to see if, if OMB takes your advice and goes down that path. Dennis, this has been a fascinating conversation. What's the takeaway from, from Gigamon's perspective for agencies when we talk about IT modernization, when we talk about cybersecurity, buying down risk? What are some of the things they should keep in mind? And if we have this conversation a year or two years from now again, are things going to be different? I think the government really needs to keep doing some of the same things it's doing well, but also continuously improve and look at doing a few things uh, differently. So I think CDM is is a good program. I think the frustration is it. it you know, it doesn't move uh, quickly enough. I think with the robust funding for FY18 and the outlook for FY19 uh, is good. I think some of the improvements in the way the defend in phase three is going to go over phase one and phase two are very welcome. So I would say keep doing that, do more of it. Congress keep funding that well. On the DOD side, we talked about sharks here, but joint information environment, JRE, one of the flagship programs under that is the joint regional security stack. I think that's a program that was a good idea, but wasn't given enough funding to be executed well. So stick with it, but give it the funding it needs for the people in the program office at DISA. Give it the funding it needs to modernize that five-year-old architecture so that we can still reduce that attack surface within DOD through the Joint Regional Security Stack. Again, we're proud to be part of that uh, program as well. All right, good advice. Plenty to do. We'll have this conversation again. Unfortunately, we're out of time. I'd like to thank my guest, Dennis Riley, the Vice President of Federal Sales for Gigamon. Dennis, thank you so much for taking the time. Hey, it's been a pleasure. 
I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on federalnewsradio.com at 1500 AM. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsradio.com and search innovation. Thank you for listening to the Innovation in Government show, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. The entire discussion can be found on demand at Federal News Radio, keyword innovation.